Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest, all the way from the front seat of his car. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Duran Cage in the house. Duran, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Jason, for uh, for having me on. And yeah, front seat front seat and ready. I've got uh, my son, who's seven, about to be eight. We're getting him some, getting some things done for him to prep for his... Uh, his little birthday. So I'm big super day, excited to be on. Day. Thank you so much. This is going to be fun. Well, thank you for taking the time. Today's a big day and I appreciate you sharing that day, that day with us. Hey, uh, Duran, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and kind of don't know your origin story and kind of how you got started in the business. I always think it's fun to kick off this podcast with that story. So I'm very curious, how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Yeah. So it, it's crazy. So I'm a, um, military brat right so my father he was in air force and so when he retired we moved to this nice town called albuquerque you know the thing that you hear on uh, i think looney tunes or something where they coined that but yeah albuquerque new mexico is where i'm from and so when we moved there uh one of my best friends his father uh-huh. the dealership so it was a dodge only dealership and so uh when i went to his house we'd hang out a lot which one, and, uh, which one? and i started seeing his uh his dad's commercials and and we'd always say that when we graduated high school, we were going to go sell cars for him. And sure enough, literally the first month after school, we graduated and we went and sold cars. And man, after I sold that first car, and I know a lot of people, they all can resonate with this. But once you yeah. sell that first car, game over. It's, like, it's it was, totally you know, I was 17 over. years old and I was hooked. And so was he. I mean, we were making money, having fun. And so fast forward. So after selling cars there, I got a job. Uh, when I graduated, I went to the school. I went to University of Mexico. When I graduated, I was going to go back to selling cars, but I ended up getting a job working for Chrysler. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the Chrysler reps said they were hiring a bunch of college grads. So it's just perfect timing. And I said, okay, where would I go? And he said, Memphis, Tennessee. I said, okay. And they're like, you get a car. And all I heard was a free car. So of course. in 2008 or 2007, uh, went out here to Memphis, Tennessee as the Chrysler rep for Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi. So I did that for a year, left in 08, which is crazy because that was one of the craziest times in the car business for my life, and went back to selling cars in Jackson, Tennessee as an internet manager. So um, because back then, the, the internet, and it's crazy because we talk about the internet now, it's still so important. But back then, it was important, but not anybody, a lot of people in this area were not really paying a lot of attention to it. So I was coaching dealers on, you know, doing search and Google and and, and internet sales. So one of the dealerships pretty much said, put your money where your mouth is. And so I joined that dealership, Dodge dealership in Jackson, Tennessee, was there for eight years, went from internet director and then fast forward to the end as a GSM and ended up working for a vendor. Uh, After, after doing that for eight years, I worked as a vendor as a consultant for two years. And then after doing that for two years, I started my own in February, uh, 2018. So really three years ago. And so now I consult dealers in the same area and all around really on three core things, Jason. And those things are, you know, how to improve the internet sales, Mm -hmm. how to utilize their CRM to the best of their ability, because it's one of the most underutilized tools in the dealership. And then the third thing is to help them with their digital marketing efforts and branding. So, that hopefully gives you a, a decent little background of 
beginning selling cars to 17 to now 36 year old guy still loving the car business. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to geek out real quick because I'm insanely excited because I cut my teeth on a dealership right down the street from you. So I was born in Boise, Idaho, but my okay. dad worked for a small little company called Intel. At that point yeah. in time, it was <laughs> yeah. small. All right. And I lived yeah. in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Rio Rancho. All right. And okay, I started yeah. selling cars at Reliable Chevrolet right yes, down sir. the street yeah. from you. And okay. So what year did you start selling cars? 2002. Dude, That's we literally started at, the exact, we, we started at the exact same time. So we were wow. selling cars against each other because I because you were at the Dodge dealership just down the street, right? Yep. Right there. It's off of I-40 and maybe... Yeah. Man, they'd kill me if I didn't know, but that's like Lomas and something <laughs> yeah. like that. But yeah, okay, uh, this, right there. Talk about a small world, man. I'm listening to you tell your story and I'm just like, I'm getting jacked. I'm like, I'm, this is so cool because I get to talk about cool stuff that only he understands. Like, like when I tell people, like when I first started in the business, I literally lived on the burrito van. Nobody yes. understands yeah. <laughs> what I mean by Saturday that. Saturday mornings. And, oh, right? yeah. And it was probably the that's same it. burrito van that came by your place too. And it was yes. like, depending on how good my sales were that month was based if I was eating beans and cheese or steak and egg. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Like, I mean, that, that is awesome, man. That is so, so funny that we, I bet you we probably sold against each other a couple of times. I, um, I guarantee it, man. That, I told, I told so many cool. people, don't go buy a Dodge. It's a piece of crap. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, that is so awesome. That is so awesome. Um, wow. Talk about a small world. Okay. So then I got to ask, what high school did you go to? La Cueva. So I went La to La Cueva High School. So Rio Rancho at that time, I think they were building, weren't they? I yeah, they were just the, building was the school it. Official? Yeah, I actually ended up going to a private school. So I went to Bosque, okay. uh, which yeah. is a small, small little private school. But um, man, that's hilarious. I bet you we even probably ran into, I had a bunch of friends that went to La Cueva. Um, I bet you... I won't bring it up. There'll be another. I'm going to have to talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah, we're going to have to talk, we're gonna talk about this because like, I'm, I bet you know some of the same there. people I know. We hell, we probably have some of the same parties. <laughs> we yep. probably have some of the same parties. Hey, look, I'm so excited about doing this. Uh, look, we connected um, from a big conversation we had on Clubhouse and uh, AKA Crack House. Um, for everybody out there, <laughs> yeah. we were commenting uh, just before we started our recording here, you know, that I my, my screen time notifications that I had 17 and a half hours of clubhouse usage and I, I got to back off because that's a little unnecessary, but you know what it is? I'm getting my fix because I don't have NADA. I don't, I'm not yes. able to go and, and walk through the halls and connect and talk and drink and have dinner and do all this stuff. So like, I find that I'm getting my fix, my networking fix through clubhouse and it's been, yep. a, it's been absolutely amazing, but we had a great conversation going in clubhouse where we we're talking about kind of the outsourcing outsource training versus in-house training. And you brought up some great points. So let's, let's kind of dive into that. You know, what are your thoughts, how you feel about either outsourcing the training or creating it in-house? Yeah. So now of course I might be a little bit biased because I, I am considered a trainer and consultant, but <laughs> I can at least reflect on being in the dealership, the struggles of, wow, should we outsource this or do it in-house? Because when you're a leader at a dealership, you're automatically thinking I'm one of the best in the biz or I'm at least best here at the store. So I can do a lot of the training. The issue that you run into when you're in store as a leader, and I'm sure some of the, the people listening uh, will, will, will understand is just the timing of it. That is like the, 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 you have to look at your dealership. Okay. What's important and what's urgent, you know, like what needs to get done. And then can you do it, the training on a consistent level? You know, mm -hmm. what does that look like? 
And so I did a lot of the training in the dealership for salespeople and then for internet sales BDC. But sometimes by doing that, it could take you away from other things that are really important with running the store. Then sometimes you could outsource it or not, excuse me, not outsource it, but let's say you're going to have one of your other managers do it. But what if that's not one of your other managers skill set? You know, like just because you're a manager doesn't mean you're a skilled trainer. Yep. You know, because there's more to training, you know, and how you do it and and how you keep people excited and your enthusiasm. And I know that could sound crazy to some like, wait, you promote a manager that can't train. It's not that they they need to know how to train. They need to know how to coach, which I know we'll talk about later. But when it comes to training, that can be a difficult thing for, for some people to do. And if you are a good trainer within a dealership, I think time is one of the biggest things that you can you can struggle with. So I did enjoy even at the dealership was outsourcing the training because also it brought in a different perspective. They might have something that's a little bit different or might challenge your current approach because you're doing something that you've been doing for like five or 10 years and you hadn't thought about, hey, maybe there's a better way. Sure. And so I, it depends, really, you, you have to look within the walls of your dealership. I mean, if it makes sense from a staffing standpoint and you've got people there with great experience and training and they know how to connect and get it done and it doesn't affect the time, then by all means, you know, do it in-house. But if you're a dealership where in terms of timing, it doesn't work out, if you're trying to keep up with anything that's newer or just just having a different pair of eyes deliver that message to your team and then also, make, you know, help the leaders develop, then I definitely it's would recommend outsourcing. Right? Yeah, outsourcing because there's always, even me, like I have my own coach, you know, I have a coach that I use, Corey Mosley is my coach and even him helping me as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, if I didn't have that, I would struggle because I've got to have somebody that's constantly developing me, 100%. just giving a different pair of eyes. So it's easier for me to recommend to other people training and outsourcing because I do it for myself, for my own business. I invest in training every single month because I know that I, I want to keep learning and, and, and building my craft. No, I'm with you. You know, at, at my dealership, um, I would, I focused, I think a lot more on coaching and then I brought people in to do the training because that that's, you yeah. know, what it is, is I had to be honest and straight with myself about what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. And at, at that yeah. point in time, I'll be straight up and honest training the activities required to execute on a process was not necessarily my strength. Now, coaching yeah. and motivating someone to keep going and to better and push themselves. That's where I found like, I, I found that's where I find my space, right? I could find my, I can find my rhythm and I could keep doing that with my team, but I had to do it. So, you know, I, I think, I think for every manager out there that's listening or watching, you got to be honest, got to be straightforward yeah. and honest with yourself. And it's like, if, if you can't do this, then you need to outsource it. And you have to decide, I always find it's really good to kind of have a hybrid of both, but do you kind of find that, that kind of as an industry, you know, um, our managers are probably a little better at coaching and not overly great about training on the details. Do you see the same thing? Yes, a hundred percent. And what you just said, I love the word hybrid because that's exactly how it has to be because mm -hmm. say I'm the best trainer or you hire the best trainer in the biz, whoever you believe that trainer is, you still have to have the continuing training and inspecting and assisting after that trainer leaves, you know, the coaching must go on, you know, so it's just like sports, you know, I'm a big basketball guy, play basketball and whatnot. And, you know, there's training and then there's coaching and you can't just train and then not have a coach that's going to help you through throughout the game. So when you're looking at your dealership, just because you have a trainer, 
you know, whether it's in-house or out, out, outside of it, you still are going to have to reflect and coach after somebody's met with a customer, you know, exactly. and talk about what happened, like what went good on that, that conversation, where's their opportunity for improvement. So what I've found even for myself is the best training and coaching comes after the trainer leaves and making sure that you keep that going because it's almost like learning a language and I'm all over the place, but say you're learning Spanish, you have to keep doing it. Yes. You know, if, if you don't, if you don't keep doing it on a day-to-day -day basis, then you start losing that touch. And so I feel it's the same way with training. So having that hybrid approach to it, to where, yeah, there is some training, but then the coaching to keep that going after the trainer, after the training has been complete is where most people, um, they see the biggest success. And I think right now it's more important than ever that uh, we do not stop those efforts because I mean, this reminds me Look, you were in, were you in Albuquerque in 2008 or you already left by then? Yeah. No, I, well, no, no, no. I left in 07. So yeah, okay. I was so, gone by okay. then. So you were gone by then, but you know, I mean, Albuquerque got hit hard, you know, during the recession. I mean, you could literally drive through my neighborhood at the time and see the stickers on the doors and you knew which houses were in foreclosure. And, um, you know, that's actually what kind of prompted me to kind of, kind of move up here. But, you know, after, after that, that 2008 period, you know, there was no magic marketing pill that was ever going to bring us customers through the door. All right. We had to process our way to profitability. And I found that the most successful dealerships then, and I'm finding the most successful dealerships now, all right, understand that that methodology or, or, or embrace that and have not stopped at all. In fact, if anything, I've actually seen some of the best dealerships out there increase their training, coaching, and developing efforts because the consumer has just fundamentally changed. Yeah. The game has changed. Marketing has changed. I mean, hell, the Super Bowl just happened, all right? And, you know, outside in our circle, all right, outside of just the game, not being the most exciting game I think I've ever watched, the room commercial <laughs> yeah. probably had more impact than on 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 our circle of people than, than the actual game itself. So uh, that's a good segue kind of into that is like, how do you see like that kind of commercial challenging the branding of our industry? And I guess maybe you should talk a little bit about the commercial for everybody that's out there watching and listening and don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, I think it was probably one of the 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 most uh, talked about commercials before <laughs> the Super Bowl I've seen. I'm not used to, you know, it's funny because people are like, did you see the ad for the uh, for room for the Super Bowl? And I'm like, the Super Bowl hadn't even happened yet. I mean, it was like two weeks before somehow it leaked. Like Super Bowl commercials used to be a big deal. Like you didn't see them till after. So it's kind of like, I guess it's like the Black Friday thing. Like Black Friday goes all month long. Mm -hmm. But anyways, so back to the room. Yeah, so to, to, so everybody that hasn't seen it, pretty much, it puts this uh, this negative connotation on the dealerships about you know that it's. You, I think they had a guy getting electrocuted, if I'm not mistaken, but <laughs> yeah. they're they're pretty much about to almost kill somebody, and they're they're trying to reference that buying a vehicle at a dealership is this painful, like it's that bad to where you'd almost rather go and sit on an electric chair or be electrocuted than rather buy a car, and dealers you know, uh, and I'm sure people listening to this, some of them just cringe and they, they get upset. But um, it, it, my response to it and to the clients that I work with is like, this isn't really anything new. It's just the branding <laughs> exactly. that Vroom is doing. But Vroom was not the first to paint this negative uh, connotation on our business. Like there's yeah. other vendors without me saying their names, but there's other vendors that have run 
spots that make fun of dealerships and how we sell cars. And then there's other uh, publicly auto-traded dealerships that have done very similar spots where they make fun of dealerships selling cars. So I'm not so sure why Vroom, I think it was just because the aggressiveness of the Vroom ad really just kind of ticked them off. But this, this is really nothing new. Like we've seen this before from, from different people that have poked fun, you know, at at the auto industry in the process. Well, I think it was timing too. It just kind of felt like it was a little bit of a low blow, especially with just kind of the last 12 months that we've kind of, we've kind of come off of. Um, But I actually think the most genius part of this entire thing is that we are literally marking it for them. See, that's just what I think is really kind of funny. As an industry, we're like, how dare you talk like that? And then we literally go make counter commercials, driving nothing but more attention to the message itself. (laughs) I'm just kind of like, you know, it cracked me up. It really cracked me up. But I did watching the the commercial. I think I did work for that sales manager at one point in time during my career. Um, you know, I've definitely worked at some dealerships that taught me a lot about what not to do or, or taught me more about what not to do than necessarily what to do. Um, but I'm actually, I was totally fine with it. I think it was a good, you know, punch in the face. I think if anything, mm-hmm. it says, it says to us is like, Hey, there's still a perception. There's still a stigma out there so much so that this company felt like it was enough to go spend millions of dollars in producing and, and promoting a, a, a commercial about it. And it still says to us as an industry that we still have something to work towards. And you know, I I I did not I did not take it personally. I was yep. like, all right, that's cool. You know, kind of kind of game on. Definitely not in the sense of a challenge, but in the sense of like, as an industry with the amount of franchise dealers that are out there, even non-franchise dealers out there, right? We should be able to outbrand a single company. And, you know, so I, I actually think of anything that showed us that we can, that we do need to get better in our branding game. Do, do you feel the same way? Absolutely. I mean, it's, um, if, if the dealerships, let's put it this way, if the dealerships are doing what they're supposed to be doing and building <laughs> their brand and taking care of their customers, they really should not have to worry about any ad from Vroom or any other competitor for that matter. Because exactly. as long as you are taking care of your business and you have, huge fans within your company and, you know, customers that are repeat that are buy, they'll do anything for your dealership, then you're good to go. I think the, the only, the dealerships that would need to, to make changes or, or be, you know, waking up by what Vroom did are the ones that are still doing things in the traditional way. Like they've got poor Google reviews, poor Facebook reviews, they're struggling, you know, getting uh, their reputation up. Then those are the ones that, yeah, they probably need to like look at some things and make some changes. But for the, for most dealerships that understand the importance of creating a a great experience in creating a great brand for your dealership, I think it should just keep them inspired and and focused on doing what they do best, which Mm -hmm. is taking care of their customers, branding it, you know, creating huge fans and, and making sure that you do your best to make sure that those customers come back, you know, because if you, Again, if you focus on taking care of what you already have at your dealership, you know, the dealerships that have been around for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, why are you spending so much time worried about attracting more business when you have so much business within the walls of your CRM, DMS, and everything else that you really should be blinded towards anything else that's going on in this world, if that makes sense? No, it does. And it's just like, you know, it's funny. It's it, my operations manager hates when I talk like this because you know we do have a, a marketing agency. We do run 
and manage millions and millions of dollars worth of Facebook and Google ad spend mm -hmm. every single year. But I would actually rather see that spend stop, you know, yeah. because to me, you know, that, that, that constant, that, that, that constant uh, sticking money into the PPC pot um, and it is, it's, yes. it's a drug. It's really what it is. It's like every day. It's like, I gotta get my fix. Gotta get my fix. Right. And, and, but it ends. It's like the fact that we spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, like millions of dollars marketing a message that only has a shelf life of 30 days is absolutely mind boggling to me. Yep. All right. It's just like, and that is not the value. Uh, it, it's not a value why someone wants to ultimately do business with you. Look, I mean, you, you're in the car business. I'm in the car business. You, you go, you, you go to a party or something like that. The minute someone hears that you're in the car business, all right, boy, do they want to tell you a story, right? And it, sometimes right. it's good or bad, but boy, they want to share that story with you, right? And I've yet mm -hmm. to actually have anybody tell me that they bought a $267 biweekly car. Um, right. <laughs> Most of the time, I don't remember what the hell I even paid for in the first place, right? That's so it's right. A, that's not the value. But we'll spend millions of dollars a year marketing that as a value that this car is only two hundred sixty-seven dollars by weekly. This is why you should buy, right? Um, yep. And and so we're being outbranded in many other verticals. And I think this was a great awakening to say, hey, look, your customer wants more. We almost got to kick it old school, right? Like mm -hmm. the art of the art of storytelling. It's kind of gone away. Do you not feel the same? Like we just, we're not good at it anymore. Yeah, no, the, the, the art of storytelling. It, it's funny you say that because kind of touching on training just a little bit, mm -hmm. but storytelling, I think is one of the best ways to, to answer customer concerns, you know? So storytelling exactly. is when somebody's concerned about price, when somebody's concerned about the time at a dealership, when somebody's concerned about how much they're going to get for their trade, one of the best things to do is to tell a story of a recent customer that's gone through the journey and the outcome of what that was. Like that's so much better than the traditional word tracks that are used to overcome a common objection. Use a story, use a real story, and also share a testimonial or a review after it. And that's where I think the future of our business is. It's just like the more that you can have customers share that story and the more the dealership shares the stories that they have, it creates this, and it's not even a perception because the perception is almost like as if it's not real, mm -hmm. but it's almost like it creates this brand justification or whatever we want to call it, that we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing. So, but yeah, I love that you say about what you talk about storytelling, because I, that's one of the biggest things I press on is when you're on social media, tell it's a story. When you're talking to a customer, tell a story. When you're branding and if you're going to run a TV ad, yep. tell a story. I love that. You know what? I was... um. I, I found really quick, uh, I found very early on that I was really good at sales, um, which was funny because I actually was surprised by that. I, I actually didn't think I was great at sales. And I still, even today, still don't think that I'm that good at sales. But what I realized is I was really good at telling stories, uh, telling mm -hmm. the story of the car, telling the story of the manufacturer, telling the story of the dealership, and then getting people to buy into the story. And then that product yeah was just kind of the the day-to-day -day, you know stamp on the chest of I'm associated with that story now. And I yes. it, it, it's funny because we train on this and I still see today some of the best salespeople I ever meet still do this. Right? They're they're amazing storytellers. Um mm -hmm. but then when it comes to marketing, we, we totally forget about it. And, and in fact actually oh, yeah. it is so bad. I'm telling you, I think it's so bad right now that we're now looking at like products like digital retelling. Is 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 a story, and I'm like, it's not a freaking story. It's a little widget you put on your on your site, right? 
And I, I'm getting so annoyed by like, oh, well, you know, shot from home, shot from home. Like that's, that's the story. Like, no, 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 it's not. It's, it's, well, I think for a lot of reasons, like digital retailing is a process first, like yes. technology second. Um, in fact, actually, I remember hearing this come up in a recent conversation. Actually, you know what? This is a good one. I'm going to get your thoughts on this. All right. Is that, you know, this digital retailing story, dealerships have bought into it so much, but now OEMs have bought into it so much that they want to get involved and force dealerships to do digital retailing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So <laughs> the OEMs getting involved with digital retailing, it's there's nothing scary. wrong with that. <laughs> They're listening to the customers and uh, I'm just laughing because of our conversation prior, but no, the, the OEMs getting involved with digital retailing, I understand that they're listening to the customers. So I think that's a good thing. But what they really need to listen to is listen to the dealers, you know, really need to listen to the dealers because exactly. the dealers are the ones that have to execute. Okay. And so before you can execute on anything, you have to lay out a process. You know, you have to make sure you have the right processes. Then you have to get the right people in place. Mm. Then we can talk about how we're going to execute this digital retailing strategy. Then we're going to talk about how we're going to put the buttons on the website and where we're going to put those buttons. You know, there's so much more to it. Like even digital retailing in itself is almost a culture. Like you can't have all these buttons on your website talking about digital retailing, buy now, act quick, do this. Yeah. But when you come into the dealership, there's no branding around that. There's nothing. So what if you were on the website and you looked at all this great stuff, buy quick, you know, start the process now, but you decided not to convert on the website. So you yep. didn't, you, you didn't submit your information, but you walk into the dealership and all you see is 10 grand off 190 uh, lease payment. You see, but you don't see anything about buying vehicles fast because they should still be able to transact fast, of course. even in the dealership. So that's where I think that just going back to the OEMs, it's it's great that let's put this thing in here because we're seeing other people like the Teslas and stuff like that. They're having success. But if you really dig, in, dig into Tesla, there's so much more into that process. Oh, you know, there's more. there's so much more into their infrastructure that you can't with dealerships. It just takes time, you know, and again, so you have to really get back to the the pencil and paper and dial it back down to like, OK, what percentage of our customers actually want to do this? You know, look at our demographics. Look, what kind of volume are we seeing? And then let's take a look at our heat map. You know, let's pilot this on our website and then let's relook at it again in 90 days. Like how many OEMs have went out there and pushed out digital retailing to dealers, but then at least after 90 days or six months, went back to the dealers and sat down and talked about what did it look like? What did it look like when it entered your CRM? What are your salespeople saying? What are your customers saying? You know, that's the mm -hmm. part that's missing is because what I've seen with digital retailing with the dealers I've consulted with is we're changing a lot. Like, it's never like, <laughs> oh, we're going to hook up with this digital retailing tool and we're good to go. Like, I just had a conversation with a guy last night. He was like, man, our digital retailing tool was it was giving the customer a fee that was not the right fee. And he was like, we got to have a phone call, but it should it should constantly be evaluated and should constantly be changed. And I think that's where the OEMs have a huge opportunity is just maybe just to listen a little bit more. I understand what they're trying to accomplish. I know what they want to do. I'm with them. Like if I'm buying a car, I would love to do most of it either online or do it 100%. However, they have to really look at the friction of the process and make sure we remove all that friction to make sure it's a smooth experience. Well, that, that's, I think that's what's key, right? My, my fear is, is that they think the tech defines the experience. And I'm like, I have never seen a piece of technology create an experience. 
the process associated with the technology that's built around the technology that's the experience, right? Exactly. So it's just like, that's where it, it gets me really, well, hey, I'll be honest, it gets me super nervous when the OEMs get involved. I mean, <laughs> I had a Mitsubishi dealership. Mitsubishi was pretty good about letting me do what I needed to do, but they even fought me on multiple things. Yeah. And it's just like, like, look, I understand, but I mean, it, there were times there were conversations that had to be had. Like, I'm like, you're the wholesaler. I'm the retailer. Let me do what I need to do to make money back off. Right. Um, but, but it's just, I'm afraid. My fear is that they think that this is a diet pill. It's the yeah. magic diet pill. That's going to let the dealership lose the weight and generate a good experience. And it's like, no, if there's not a process to find behind it, then it's never going to stick, you know, but I also think, you know, to be able to get to that place, look, I actually, let me back up. Digital retailing. Um, I've seen be executed really successful. You kind of mentioned this a little earlier too, right? Like it, uh, an idea is only as good as how well we can execute it. That's pretty much what digital retailing is, you know, and, and the dealerships that I've seen execute it well, it's because their leaders are at our are right front line flying the digital retailing flag. Yes. So this is where I think it kind of goes into my next question. Cause we were talking a little bit earlier about coaching leaders and how we kind of create those. And it's like, like if, if you don't have a leader that understands how to coach their team, a product like digital retailing or any other product like yeah. live chat will just die, you know? So I want to get yeah. your thoughts on this. Like, how do we, um, get our leaders to coach and how do we coach those leaders to be better coaches? Yeah. Well, and, and, and as we get into the leadership thing, I think one of the best things that, especially going from digital retailing and going into the leader standpoint is one thing the, the leaders can do to really help their team in this area is to make sure that they go through the digital retailing themselves, oh, you know, yeah, and then coach their team through it. So if you're listening to this as a leader, if you have not been on your website and gone through the experience yourself, that should be the first thing that you do after you listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Like after you're done, there's like, oh my gosh, I need to do that. And then as a leader, do the same thing with your people. Make your people go through that entire process online. Okay. Then the next thing as a leader that I've found to be so valuable is every digital retailing opportunity that we receive. And really, it's not just digital retailing opportunities, but almost any opportunity that you receive that's like an online customer, mm-hmm. one of the best thing leaders can do is just to sit down with your employees, whether that be a BDC or an internet salesperson or whomever, and go through that process with them, talk to the customers with them. Exactly. And if you can do that as a leader and bridge that gap, man, talk about the culture that you create. Like, wow, like not only is he coaching me, but he's leading me down the path of what our customers are trying to do. And then he's also talking to the customers or she is also talking to the customers with me. And that's that, that coach and that leader where, again, it connects the dots with everything that we're talking about. Yes. You can have the best process for digital retailing. You can have the best buttons for digital retailing, but if the leaderships are not, if the leaders are not in place to help make sure everything is being executed and holding the team accountable and being 100% all in with everything, then it's not going to work. Like the leaders are the biggest foundation to the success or the failure of a dealership hands down. 100%. Like 100%. You know, if you want to succeed with digital retailing, you better have some strong leaders. If you want to have the best <laughs> salespeople, you better have some strong leaders. You know, if you don't have the, the right leadership in place for everything that we've talked about, 
it's almost pointless. Nothing will really work. There's going to be, there's going to be this puzzle and then you're going to miss pieces of the puzzle just going to be wide open and you can't get this perfect picture because that leader is not in place. So that, that's a great, great question. Well, and you know what? I think it does kind of, it, it is the foundation of everything that we've talked about actually up to this point, right? Is, yeah. you know, we've talked about outsourcing training and, and in-house training and a hybrid. And again, none of that will happen. All right. Unless you're, unless your leaders actually know how to coach down, right? Yeah. Like they, they, they need, they need to be in a coaching place. Look, you're never going to be able to get to a place as a, as a dealership, as a business to actually develop out a brand, right? Unless yes. your leadership, all right, can actually coach on those efforts because it is not a flip of a switch. There's not a magic branding button that we can go push and you have a brand, right? Um, digital retailing is the same thing. There is no, there is no magic button here. There, there's no easy button, all right? It is leaders coaching their team, all right, and continuing to move that needle for things to actually get done, right? We said it kind of earlier. An idea is only as good as how well we execute it. It's up to those leaders. And leaders need to look at them. They, they have to have a moment. They need to be self-aware. They need to look at themselves in the mirror and say, hey, look, am I going to coach today, you know, and am I going to be that coach that my team needs me to be? That's what I see a good leader is. Don't you see the same thing? I, I agree. It's almost like we could we could say this line, the leaders are the brand and wow, the brand okay. is a reflection of the leaders. Yeah. You see that? Like they go hand oh, yeah. in hand, yeah. you know, it's like you have a brand, but that brand is really is your leaders and then your leaders are that brand. So your leaders are a reflection of the brand that you're trying to get across on social media. Your leaders are the, are the face of the brand that you're trying to do that you're trying to have when you're executing with mm -hmm. your employees and you're having your daily one-on-ones and your, your, your meetings and your trainings, like that's what it's all about. And so they are the brand. So we're sitting here talking about branding and going back to room, but that's where the biggest light shines is with the leaders. You know, they establish and they establish and make sure that the brand is actually true because you can say a lot of things like oh, we can easily, you and I, we could call a bunch of dealerships. <laughs> hey, let's create a brand you know, and have some fun, but then the customers and the employees, most importantly, you know, cause we're talking a lot about customers, but if the employees don't see the brand within their leaders, then they're, they're not going to let the customers see that because Absolutely. they're going to say it's all fake, you yes. know? So the leaders have to be the brand, not just to the, to the customers, but the leaders also have to be the brand to the employees. And I think that's, that's really important. And especially in today's society. Duran, you, you are so right. And um, I feel like that's a perfect like mic drop right there because you did an amazing <laughs> job of summing it up. I know we're getting it's a tail end of our time right now. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. I think I think for, you know, a couple boys from Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, I think we've, we've done all right. We've done all right. And it is I'm just it's been it's it's been amazing to connect with you. And have this conversation. I'm sure this is not going to be the last time that we do this. But for for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now, who would love to connect with you, Duran, and kind of you know continue this conversation, this amazing conversation we've had. All right, what, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, so um, you can just just it's my first name, Duran D U R R A N at CageAutomotive.com, or you can find me on Facebook just by hold on, just by uh, typing in Duran Cage. Or, you know, you can, I mean, my number's on LinkedIn, so you can find me just about anywhere. Um, so, yeah, I'm super, super thankful, Jason, for, for letting me be on here. And I promise, you know, anybody that's watching the video part, I'm normally a suit and, uh, you know, I've got my tie <laughs> on and stuff like that. It's just, 
uh, you know, when the, when the wife wants to make adjustments and says, Hey, you know, I want our little guy to get, you know, his haircut and get everything taken care of. I'll get my haircut done too. Um, so I'm super thankful and excited. And yeah, I I hope that we get to do this again and and have some fun, but uh, who would have known Rio Rancho, Albuquerque, green chili. That's crazy. (laughs) You know what? That is one thing. And we can jam about that. Nobody understands the beauty that is green chili, unless you've lived in New Green chili. Um, Thanks, Durant. Have yourself an amazing day. This has been a blast. You too. Thank you so much. Take care, Jason. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.